With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is the Friday follow-up edition for episode 244. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. And it's good to be back in the studio. Yeah, we want to thank you guys for giving us a week off. It was really nice to have a chance to take a break and unplug last week. Yeah, we were able to get some more research done on this case, and we've actually started researching our next case, which will probably be coming up early 2017. Once Ed's case gets back into court, we're going to pick up a new case and take it from there. We have several really interesting cases that we're reviewing right now. They're all cases where I think that we could be a lot of help in, so we're kind of excited to get going on those. But for today's Friday follow-up episode, the first thing we want to do is let all of you hear just a little bit from Ed. This recording you're about to hear, it's short, it's just a couple of minutes. But what actually happened was Mike and I were in the middle of recording our other podcast, the Off-Duty Podcast. Oh, are you sure we want to talk about (laughs) Off-Duty? Maybe not. So uh, for any of you that do happen to go listen to Off-Duty, maybe we should give a little disclaimer. Uh, At the very least. Yeah, so a lot of you know that Mike and I are also on another podcast on the Off-Duty Podcast. And if any of you do happen to listen to that, it's a comedy podcast. We kind of play characters. It's extremely crude and, uh, well, it's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. (laughs) But we have a lot of fun doing it. We record that on Monday mornings. And this week, in the middle of recording, Ed called me. And most of you probably know this, but for any of you that don't, this past Sunday, the 27th of November, was Ed's 49th birthday. And as you know, in prison, I can't call Ed. He has to call me. So I didn't hear from him on his birthday, but he called me Monday morning in the middle of the recording. So we went ahead and answered the call on the air. So we actually got to talk to me, Mike, and our other co-host, Ryan, and our guest that day. But it was just really cool to hear from Ed and and listen to him talking about all the birthday cards and everything that he got. Yeah, it was definitely a nice little surprise, and it was the first time I actually talked to Ed. It was really pretty cool, and we're going to play it right now for you, but it's going to seem a little bit weird because there's going to be two other voices in here that you've never heard before and you don't know who they are. But that's Ryan and our guest, Amanda, that you're going to hear on the clip. We're going to start the show today with a really quick clip of Ed calling in while we're recording the Off-Duty Podcast, talking about his birthday. Good morning. Morning, Ed. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. (laughs) How was the holiday? It was really good. How was your birthday? Oh, it was great. <laughs> yeah, 
Kim and the kids and come down Brenda. to see you? Uh, they, her, and, her and Zach came yesterday. Nice. Where was Kyra? Kyra? She, had, she had a bunch of math homework. I, I, I called her and talked to her. She said chemistry is killing her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's about to have a, like she had, about to have a school breakdown. Yeah, so, well, she's she's coming up on a break. She's about done, right, with the semester. Yeah, she said. Uh, well, she's come. What, what it is is she's on the uh, the what is it the uh, algebra? I thought, but another. I can't think of which one. It is. Anyway, she said she got chemistry next, and then she got physics, physics or something. Just pull her out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are those aren't the easy classes. She's done with the easy ones, huh? Yeah, she said she got to get that math and stuff done. Uh, she started again in December, I know, in January 2017 or something. Another semester starts, a class or something, she said. How far is she away from graduating? Um, I think it's going to be like another year and a half. I mean, that'll just be the start, though. She still, she still got to go to what, medical school. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a, right. She wants to be a doctor. She got, she got a ways to go. So, hey, Ed, so I, 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 a couple people are going to say hi to you right now. You actually, we were in the middle of, of recording my other podcast, the off-duty podcast. It's kind of a uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of a comedy show, and I didn't want to miss your call. Uh, so I'm gonna inter- right across from me is uh, the behind-the-scenes guy and Truth and Justice. You probably heard of me talking to him when he went on the phone before. That's, that, that's Mike. Mike, you want to say hi to Ed? Hey, Ed, how's it going, man? I'm, I'm doing great. You okay? Oh, yeah. Happy holidays, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, right over here is uh, is Ryan. He he sits here and does nothing during the recording of this show. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Hey, how's it going? How you doing, Ryan? Good. Happy birthday, happy holidays. Thank you. And then uh, across from me over here is our guest today. Her name is Amanda Scacia. She works at a credit union. Very boring, terrible guest. Uh, Hi, Ed. <laughs> Hope you have a happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, man, did you did you get a lot of birthday cards? Oh, yeah. I got, uh, I had like, I know I had 32. I was trying to, I was up reading last night and trying to return, you know, return to uh, thank you and everything. I told Kim yesterday, I said, man, tell everybody what's on the page that I said thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do that when we, uh, Mike and I will be recording the, the follow-up episode tomorrow. Remember? Well, they have the free edits, uh, Facebook. I did see that, uh, the thank you did get posted on that. Oh, yeah. Kim, yeah, I saw that. Kim, that. yep, Kim yep. pasted that. Uh, okay. Or, okay. Let's do it. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll put on the follow-up too. We'll let everybody know that you said, uh, that, matter of fact, if you want to tell everybody thank you right now, I'll just, I'll record this and put it on there if you want to say anything to everybody. Okay. Um, uh, thank you everybody for sending the birthday cards. And uh, birthday greeting letters. I appreciate everything that everybody's doing out there. Thank you. There you go. You know, you said it much better to Kim, Ed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I was, I was, yeah, I was, huh? Is it go, go, go ahead. I was trying to figure out. So, well, I don't know how I'm gonna uh, return all these cards. I'm, I'm, so I'm gonna start now trying to. Uh, uh, write letters, and then I was like, "Man, there's no way," because I had like 32 of them on the bed. And Kim said, "How many is it?" I said, "Well, I got 32 on the bed. I got to go count them." And then I went to go on the count stamps. So I said, "No, nah, I can't return all of these." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you got more coming. But speaking of which, I was a I was a bad friend and forgot to send you anything before yesterday. So uh, I, I I did get you a, a birthday gift, but you're gonna get it probably like five days from now. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so, hey, bud, can can you give me a call um, tomorrow morning so we can catch up without all these Yahoos listening in? Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. All right. Sounds great, Ed, man. Have a good day. 
Okay, thanks, Bob. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, so for all of you who sent birthday cards to Ed, he was really, really appreciative of them. I actually spoke with him again yesterday, and he's got a whole bundle more that he's opening up. He didn't have enough stamps to send letters back to every single person who sent him a card, but he did want me to make sure that I passed along his gratitude to everyone who was thinking about him, praying about him, who sent him cards. He's really, really appreciative of everything. All right, now let's get right into our emails. Sounds good. This first email comes from Brenda. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but we actually got a lot of these, Chief. Really? And what is that? I uh, hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> hate mail? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> uh, well, she's, uh, she's involved with animal rights, and she sent us this email in reference to your... Uh, let me guess. Uh, me killing 20 to 25 deer. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I figured that. And, and yeah, I uh, my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, uh, you told me the email was full of people pissed off that I began episode 244 by bragging about the fact that I had killed 20 to 25 deer. Right. <laughs> Let's set the record straight on that. Yeah. So I didn't kill 20 to 25 deer. The whole thing was a combination of a joke and, uh, I'm going to point a finger right over there, an editing error. (laughs) Oops. So what I actually said, what you heard in the phone line wasn't that great, was I've killed 20 to 25 beers. Right. Beers with a B. Bravo B beers. Alcoholic beverages. The suds. Some cold brews. Brewskies. And so the combination was, uh, I was joking about the fact that when we go to deer camp every year, we call it deer camp. It's a, it's a guy's week up at our cabin. We've been doing it for decades. We don't actually kill any deer up there. We just get together, we play cards and drink beer. So the joke was that I have killed 20 to 25 beers. So there was a combination of the bad phone line where you didn't quite hear me. And then there was the fact that right after that, I said... No deer, we don't kill any deer here, just the beers. Which I thought clearly explained the situation, no problem. But as it turns out, the phone line really got kind of bad right about then, and it sounded terrible, so Mike decided to... Yeah, I edited that part out. Right, which caused the onslaught of hate mail. Lesson learned, big guy. (laughs) I think that you secretly enjoyed me getting all that hate mail. (laughs) It gave you a nice little charge. Yeah, it did. But ju- just to set the record straight, and any of you that are on social media saw I was trying to frantically correct that error on Sunday morning, and I actually pulled that part of the episode down later in the week. But no, I did not, would not ever kill 20 deer in a trip to deer camp. Now, I'm not saying I'm not a hunter. I am. That is something that I do. It's part of my culture. I'm sure some of you are not okay with that, but I can't pretend that that's not something I don't do. I'm not embarrassed about it. I do hunt. I'll kill one, maybe two deer, which is the legal limit here in a season, and we use the meat that is our red meat for the year is the venison that I get while hunting, but that is not what deer camp is all about, and there certainly was not a slaughtering going on up in the north woods of Michigan a couple of weeks ago. You're welcome. And moving on. (laughs) Okay. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our next email is from Kim from Australia. Okay. Kim writes, Bob, if Elnora was wearing makeup, mascara, or particularly lipstick, would that not be noted on the autopsy report? She might be made up if she was to be entertaining a gentleman friend, or she might have had no makeup on as she was home. Just wondering if the autopsy would or should note these facts. Love your work, Kimmy. Brisbane, Australia. Okay, that's a good question, Kimmy. And I don't know if it's standard for autopsy reports to note whether or not someone's been wearing makeup. And actually, I never considered it in this case till after I saw your email. I looked in the autopsy report. It's not noted. I went back to the autopsy photos. In the way it looks to me, it does not look like Elnora was wearing any lipstick. However, she was very clearly wearing mascara. So I don't know exactly what that tells us, whether or not she was entertaining a guest or not. It depends on, I guess, her routine. My wife doesn't wash her face and take her makeup off until, like, right before bed, right when we're going to bed. But she was most definitely wearing mascara. That we know. Okay. All right, Chief. This next one's from Chris from Southern California. It's kind of a long one, but it's a really good question, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Okay. Dear Bob, I'm not a polygraph expert, but I've heard them talk about their techniques, and my understanding is that the professionals administer the tests in a particular way that does not match the way the tests are treated at AIDS at all. They don't stop after a few questions and tell the suspect that he's been lying, and then ask him to tell the truth. They're supposed to ask baseline questions, i.e., do you live in Texas? and questions that might show guilt or consciousness of guilt, i.e., do you know how Elnora Griffin died? And they tell the suspect that the questions are going to be ahead of time to eliminate the surprise factor, and during the questions, they don't make any remarks or comments at all, much less stop the questioning. Look at the suspect and say, Look, man, you've lied to me on every question. There's no one here but you and me. You need to tell the truth. That really is bullcorn. And yes, I'm retiring bullshit and dusting off bullcorn to use from now on. <laughs> so thanks to Ed Eights for that. Maybe you can get a polygraph expert on to comment on the tests given to Ed Eights and likely call bullcorn on that quack. Thanks for a great podcast. Chris Paul, Southern California. All right, thanks, Chris. That's a great email. And I've been doing some more research on the polygraph, so I was glad to see this email come through. So let me first start out by saying that if any of you listening happen to be polygraph experts, please get a hold of me. Shoot me an email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com, or you can go through the website and click the contact link or Facebook or Twitter or anyway, somehow get a hold of me because I've never actually spoken to a polygraph expert. But after talking to Ed about the polygraph, how he said they asked him a few questions and then just stopped the test and said, you're lying to me during that first polygraph. I went back to look at the few documents that we do have about the polygraph tests. Now, I've looked at polygraph test results in a couple of other cases, and I've never seen anything quite like this one. Everyone that I've seen before gives a dialogue of each question and answer that was given, and after each question gives some scientific analysis about how they determined if the person was telling the truth or lying. 
There are a lot of numbers listed that I don't understand for each question. And there's an overall score and then a good summary. In Ed's case, for the polygraph that was given on the 28th of July, so this was five days after Elnora's body was found, it says that they asked a series of baseline questions, which is consistent with what Ed said. And then it says that they asked him about how he got to Monica's. That was the focus of the questioning. And it says that at that point, he was still holding on to the story that she had picked him up. And it was indicating deception. Which makes sense, because he was lying then. He admits that. But all it says in the summary is that they asked him those questions. And then it says that he emphatically denied having anything to do with the actual murder. And it follows up by just saying that deception was detected. But it doesn't say to which question, how he did on the baseline scores, anything. Ed tells us, as you heard, that they just stopped him and told him that he's lied on every single question. So we don't know for sure if that means that even the baseline questions were coming out as deception. We just don't know. I tend to believe that probably the entire test was coming out deception indicated because they ordered a second polygraph test just a couple of days after that, which, by the way, Ed gave voluntarily. If they had already conducted a polygraph and it already showed that Ed was lying and the test was legit, there would be no reason for them to conduct a second polygraph test. They were trying to gather evidence for themselves. I mean, these aren't admissible in court. They were trying to gather evidence for themselves to figure out if they had the right guy. And this test seemed to accomplish just that. So again, I would assume that judging by the fact that they ordered a second polygraph just a couple days later, that it was pretty clear that those results were not legitimate. Now, that second polygraph test, we do not have the results or any documentation on that. Ed says that before the trial, his attorneys were trying to get copies of it, and the DA's office said that they could not find them. He also says that they told his attorneys that he actually passed that second polygraph test, but it didn't matter because it was inadmissible anyway, and it just went away. What I didn't know until going through some of the subpoenas in the case this week is that prior to Ed's first trial, in 1996, his attorneys requested another polygraph. They filed a motion before Judge Gomert requesting another polygraph be done. The judge approved the motion, but I show no records that that polygraph ever actually took place. Ed's supposed to call me tomorrow morning, so I'm going to ask him about it, but I'm quite certain that he's told me the only two polygraphs he ever took were those two right after the body was found within that next week. So for right now, that's all we know about the polygraphs, and thanks for the question, Chris. All right, I got one more email here for you, Chief. All right. This is from Angela Dorman. Angela writes, I examined the photo of the scratches. They could be fingernail scratches. However, one thing to consider is whether or not Elnora had sensitive skin. I do. And if I just scratch an itch on my skin, it will look just like that, with barely any pressure at all. Also, the scratches could have come from bumping into something, possibly furniture or home decor, and scratching across it during the struggle. I don't think there is enough there to tell what caused the scratches. They don't look very deep, so if they are fingernail scratches, it could have been from someone grabbing at her and mostly missing. Otherwise, I would think they would be deeper and show the stutter marks, indicating it was deep enough to draw blood. Just my thoughts. All right, Angela, thank you for the email. And you bring up a few good points. One, let's address first, is the sensitive skin issue. My wife is the same way. If she scratches an itch on her arm, she'll have red marks on her arm. The difference is what that is is just irritation on her skin. It'll turn red, but then a few minutes later it goes away. Those marks that we see in that photo on the website of the scratches on Elnora actually broke the skin. They scratched her skin. It, not enough to really bleed, but there's an actual injury there. 
And based on some other emails, I want to clear this up too. A few people thought that that picture was from Elnora's shoulder. It's not. It's from the small of her back towards the left side of her spine. So it's kind of an odd place to grab. So if you can imagine just above your bottom before your rib cage, right in that area, is where those scratches were. So the analysis that I've gotten back from most people who have looked at those scratches is that they believe that they are indeed fingernail scratches. Now, of course, we can't be certain of that, but I tend to agree, and most people have told me that they believe that the person who scratched her was wearing acrylic nails. I hadn't really considered this, but several listeners had pointed out that when you cut your fingernails, they're more rounded and not quite as curved as an acrylic nail, which is usually squared off at the end. That one nail mark in the middle that shows really deep edges and a little bit lighter in the middle seems to indicate that it very likely could have been an acrylic nail. And for those of you that have seen the picture, there is that kind of weird pattern there, the stuttering. I think that it makes perfect sense that that would look like that because of the location of the scratch, because of it being right on the small of her back. The scratches aren't coming from someone grabbing around a bony structure like a shoulder or an elbow or a wrist. It looks to me like somebody reaching out and trying to grab a hold of somebody and just catching the middle of their back and just kind of grabbing at skin there. There's nothing really to get a hold of and it would cause those kind of stutter marks. So I think you're right there, Angela, when you say that it looks like someone was grabbing at her and mostly missing. I think that's probably exactly what those scratch marks are. And going back to the scratch drawing blood, I should back up and say that we don't know if it drew blood. Because in the autopsy photos, her body had already been washed off and cleaned off before they took those photos. So there may have been blood buildup on those scratches that was washed off. And unfortunately, in the crime scene photos that we have, there's no real good, clear picture of Elnor's back to be able to tell what those scratches looked like before they were cleaned. And also a quick update on that. I sent off a couple of emails this week to Smith County asking where the hell our open records request is, and the email I got back says that they should have it done by the end of next week. So hopefully that's the case, and we'll have a lot more information to work with by then. Okay, Chief, that's it for emails. I've got a couple of tweets here I want to go over with you. All right. Okay, the first tweet... You sound, you sound very professional today. Thanks. <laughs> I need, Well, because it's all I have to... Well, because, it, you know, i got to put myself out there now. Really take charge of my... I can't communicate well, Bob. <laughs> I picked the wrong career. <laughs> no, that's the problem. You're communicating too well. You're making me sound dumb. Right. Can we get back to the tweets, please? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this tweet's from Mist Explorer. All right. Did Angela Walker smoke? Well, you... well, we had another listener tweet here and gave a really good answer to that. I'm sure hers is better than mine. Go ahead. <laughs> Jess Lasso tweets... This man seems genuine. She's talking about Lionel here. Right. She definitely didn't smoke. He would know if she did. Smell is the strongest sense in relation to memory. He would also know because he was an ex-smoker, and it would be hard to be around her if she smelled like that. Plus, they were romantically involved. Most smokers light up after sex. All good points. As a former smoker myself, I can tell you that when I smoked, I couldn't smell smoke on other people. But after I quit smoking, if someone went outside in the wind and had one cigarette and walked back into a room, it immediately hit me like a ton of bricks. You can still to this day, that smell just sticks out in my mind. I know it right away and it's bothersome to me. So I think you're right. Personally, I, I don't think Elnora smokes. I mean, it is possible she was a closet smoker and would sneak into that back room and smoke, but that's that same situation where 
if she was a closet smoker who would go into the back room and smoke every once in a while, she might not notice the smell, but everyone that walked into that trailer would know the smell. Yeah. Stinks. Right. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, the fact that Lionel doesn't remember her smoking, Johnny says she didn't smoke, Kubia says she didn't smoke, Ed says that he doesn't ever remember her smoking... I just find it really hard to believe that she was, you know, sneaking into that back bathroom and smoking on occasion. I'm thinking those probably were not her cigarettes in there. But, of course, we can't be certain of that unless we do a DNA test on those cigarette butts. Okay. Last tweet here, Chief. This one's from Between the Tweets. Lionel sounded sincere, honest, and like he truly cared for Elnora and wants justice for her. He's the only person who brought her to life for me. He spoke about her in such a fond way. I completely agree, and that's actually why I recorded the interview with Lionel. When I originally called him, I just wanted to get some information from him, and I spoke to him for about a half an hour on the phone. We had a nice talk. I hung up, and it was the next day I thought, I want to get him back on the phone and let you all hear from him because he really described Elnor, and he actually went into a lot more detail with me the day before when I talked to him. And it was just like you said. He was the first person who really painted a picture of Elnor to me. Like, I could actually picture her. I could picture them hanging out, going on dates, talking on the phone. So that's exactly why I went back and recorded the interview with him, because I wanted everybody to hear that, because we always want to remember that, above all else, we need to always make it a goal to give the victims their voice back. And so we don't want this to be just about Ed, but it's about Elnora as well. And lastly, I've got a Facebook post here for you from Samantha Peterson. Samantha posts, Knives at the Horse Farm? I'm sitting in front of my stall looking around at the knives available. I have my pocket knife, boot knife, serrated knife, hoof knife, all in my oh shit kit. And I can see a fixed blade on the back cinch of a western saddle. And that's just in my section of a five-stall barn, not even looking at heavy equipment. Knives are standard equipment on a farm. Finding one is like finding turds. It's gonna happen. Well, that's pretty shitty. (laughs) Seriously? What? Never mind. Okay, anyway, uh, that's a really good point. Samantha, but I'm not going to get too much into this because we have some new information about that knife that's going to come out in Sunday's episode. So tune in on Sunday to hear more about what was going on with that knife. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. I am on the line with Leanne from California. How you doing today, Leanne? Good. Hi, Bob. Great to talk to you. You too. You're one of my heroes. (laughs) Oh, thank you. You didn't, uh, by chance, try to call me about two minutes ago and, and get my wife, did you? I did, and it, it didn't go anywhere. So, well, I, I'm so glad you called back because at the exact moment that you had called and were answering it and we couldn't uh-huh. hear anything in here, uh, my wife had started my truck out in the driveway, which has a Bluetooth, and it grabbed my phone and was sending all the sound. Oh, into the that's truck. hilarious. It has happened to me several times, unfortunately, and I'm like, hello, what? (laughs) (laughs) Technology, it makes us smarter and dumber all at the same time. Right, right. 
And Mike tells me that you are actually a criminologist, so I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. I am, and um, I'm getting my master's right now in criminology, but I've been studying crime my entire life. It's fascinating to me, but um, I have one statement, and then I had a couple questions. One of the reasons I believed he never did this is not just because of the evidence, but because, and I know, I'm sure you'll agree with me here, everything screams of an intimate relationship murder here. Oh, absolutely. 100%. whether it's love, hate, or both, all at once. And he didn't have that kind of relationship with her. But when you interviewed Leonard Mosley, it was so funny because you're like, I'm totally not saying he did anything, you know. And I felt the same way. I felt totally open-minded. And then I listened to that interview because something was bugging me. I listened to it like four times. And the things that bugged me really badly were the fact that he kept saying her throat was slit, her throat was... It's not that he said it once. It's that he kept saying it. And to me, that was a tell that he was lying. And the other tell to me was, do you recall how many times he seemed genuinely shocked that Elnora had ever had a relationship with Francis? I felt like that was so feigned. Like that, if he knew that, then that would make him more of a suspect. So he pretended not to know it too fervently. It's it's a good point. You know, I wasn't really focused too much on that, but I believe, and don't quote me on this, I have to go back to the transcripts and look, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that that was brought to Leonard Mosley's attention at the trial, that he was made aware of it, or at least asked about it at the trial. I know. And so, see, that's what was bothering me so much about it. I'm like, you said it like he or he said it. He would talk to his sister, her sister for years. And the way that it sounds like there were more women than men in that, there is no way that those women didn't talk about this. There, there's no way that they didn't know who was sleeping with who. And therefore, the men knew too, you know, kind of thing. And I, I just felt like he really played it well, trying and. It's been years, too. So he first avoids you knocking on the door. I just really feel like he knew you were coming. Not necessarily you, but someone was going to come at some right. point. Or... Yep. And then he acted surprised about things he absolutely wasn't surprised about. And I find that when I interview or, you know, people or interrogate people, which, you know, I've only really done in private investigation situations they lie about the dumbest the most obvious thing you know like Mm -hmm. the things that they shouldn't be lying about and it tells me that they're trying to make themselves sound innocent yeah and you know how when you're when you're interviewing like that you're kind of looking for the baseline so in in leonard's case when i've and i have reanalyzed that interview a hundred times uh and have had it analyzed by uh actually uh stanley burke uh, was not able to officially, oh, yeah. in an official capacity, come on the show and do it because of his ties with the Bureau still, and he had to go through an approval process. But Stan did listen to it, and we got on the phone and talked about it. He, and, of course, he doesn't know the background, so he doesn't know where there were absolutely lies. He's just listening to, to the statement analysis. He's like, he's he's either selling it really well, telling the truth, or he's a very good liar. And he recommended, yeah, like, you need, to, and- you need to go back and look at you know certain points, facts that you know, and see if he's lying. So you can start to get kind of a baseline. So things like his relationship with Angela, 
that was, you know, just a, a one night stand, a fun time that was a mistake. Well, I, I, we know Angela's opinion on that. That could just be a conflicting opinions on what their relationship was. But in more recent continued investigation into Angela, I, I just found just a few days ago, Angela was living with Leonard Mosley as early as, as 1989. They were living together for three years prior to this murder. So that that is just a complete and, bold-faced lie. So if he and if he's willing to if he's willing to and able to do it so convincingly lie about that, it kind of just throws everything else he said out with the bathwater. That drove me nuts too because I knew for sure for sure that was a lie. I got I, I listened to that tape, the, his interview over and over again and I haven't had a chance to call you so it's not totally fresh in my mind, but um, first of all, I'm also a victim advocate, and I work as a at a domestic violence shelter. Mm-hmm. And there's something very similar to I don't want to say guys like him because I don't know that he's a domestic abuser. I don't know you don't have to be violent to be an abuser, by the way, and I'm sure you know that. But right. Something about the fact that every Thursday I go and I see this woman, and every Thursday she has dinner on the table for me. I actually have a family friend who's an abuser, and he refuses to admit he's an abuser. He's just like, no, that's what women are supposed to do. That's if they don't do what they want to do, you know, if they don't do what I the rules are, then yeah, I'll hit, I'll hit them. But they deserved it, or they hit me first, or he never. I try to learn from him because <laughs> you know we're close, but I can't do anything about it, you know. Yeah, and I felt like he might have that, you know, like. Well, I, you know, I don't know if what his physical abuse is, but you know, there are a few things with Leonard that that catch your attention or catch my attention anyway. You know, first of all, you know, abuse is going to start with control. That's usually where it stems from, Please. and he seems to be someone who needs to be in control of the relationship. You know, his his dates with Elnora that she would cook him a fresh meal every Thursday at midnight when she has to be to work the next morning. Uh, that and then, and then the way the way he talked about little things like when he was talking about Angela and how he got pregnant. It was, and you know, how you know women are. exactly, and... exactly. You know how women are, you know, you, you know, they, they say this is my fault, I guess. Cause I should, you know, basically saying it's her fault. I, I shouldn't have trusted her. So that part's my fault. There's, there's some underlying misogyny there and, and control that I think leads to abuse in, in a lot of situations. You have a boy, you have a woman that you're going to, you say you're going to marry. I thought that was bull, too. You say you're going to marry, but you only see her on Thursday night, and you have this woman living at your house, and you don't remember your own son ever living there or his birthday. Weird. Yeah, there's there's a <laughs> ton of red flags looking at victimology. You, know, you have just a you, you have a recipe for disaster. You have a guy that, say, you know, one one person we're considering as a possible suspect is Angela Walker being involved. So imagine he had the same controlling relationship over her. I mean, she she knows that he's cheating on him. I mean, she has obviously pulled the plug and moved out, but then came back. And what she said for the reason she moved back in was that even though they had broken up and Leonard was with Elnora, supposedly in a serious relationship, as soon as she was living with another guy, he didn't like that. He didn't like he he was losing his control, so brings her back. So you have two women. That mm-hmm. are being controlled by this guy, and then take a guy like Leonard, who who seems to be a guy that that needs to have that control over a, wom- a woman, and one of those women is Elnora, who we know you know was in a relationship with him. She had this kind of uh, kind of fun relationship, I, is the best way I can put it, uh, with Lionel, 
and then also Francis yeah. Johnson, you know, that's something that a guy yeah. like Leonard is doesn't want to put up with, isn't going to put up with. It's just this recipe for disaster. You know, you have you know the, the love triangle yeah, she's in with then... with Leonard and Francis and Lionel. And, you know, I think Lionel was innocuous to the situation. You know, he he was comfortable with the relationship being what it was. And honestly, I think Francis, based on what reading his trial testimony, I don't know if you've read it, but he seemed like he was genuinely upset. You know, like, like they they were dating. She saw Lionel. He saw that Lionel's car was there, and he broke up with her because he was mad and he was upset. And, but that was months before. But this whole situation is trouble. If I had ever lost someone that I was going to marry, allegedly going to marry, right? It would bother me always. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw visible. Allegedly, I'm just hearing for the first time her throat was slit. I think I would be bothered, and I don't know if you saw any of that in him. Because what, the way I read Leonard was being overconfident to almost to the point of cockiness. He mm. was very, very confident when he came out as though you know to talk to me as though you know I, you know, I, I know how to handle this. This is not a problem. The only time he had any chink in his armor at all. I mean, he stood there toe-to-toe with me. I, he was, I was a foot away from him having the conversation the entire time and very confident, didn't give any indications of deception. He was holding it together just fine. When I said that Francis thinks you did it, he mm-hmm. physically staggered back. I mean, head down and, and staggered back mm-hmm. a couple feet and like was looking at the ground. Then he bounced back, but... That was the only time that he seemed bothered by anything that I said. That's interesting. The other thing that confused me was he was like, they can have semen right now. They can they can come and get it right now. Didn't they already get it? Yeah, and again, that's either complete ignorance on his part or it's overselling it. Of course he's going to say, yeah. Yeah, they can come get my semen right now because he knows they already got his semen and already tested it against that sample. You know, they never did a DNA test, but they did a blood type test. So for him to say they can come get it right now, he has to know they already have it. And I I think that if, and it's a a big if, and I want to make sure I clarify that, if he had anything to do with this, I think that he probably feels bulletproof at this point. And there's some new information that's going to come out in Sunday's episode that that may paint a better picture as to why he feels bulletproof. When we see the shenanigans that were being pulled by Smith County... I mean, it was like he was supposed to be a suspect, but he had the prosecution working with him. Same thing with Francis Johnson. They're working with him, trying to help him create an alibi so they can get the guy they want to get. I'm pretty convinced that guy feels like he's bulletproof no matter what. I mean, it takes balls to have multiple women controlled and all that. I mean, I've seen it up close and personal with my sister. The guy had two kids with two other women while they were married. She had no idea. Right. And he controlled all of them. And it's like they're pawns in their game. And it's like playing chess or something, right? And right. it's like he knows how to bullshit. And he probably came across really genuine and honest like he can. Right. But he was overselling it the whole time. And they already wanted it for some reason. And so they just they just fit the pegs into who they wanted to pull down for this. And it's just so unfortunate. You're just, I just think what you're doing is amazing. Well, thanks, Leanne. Leanne, excuse me. And I I appreciate all of your support and sticking around for all this. It's going on two years now. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for the phone call tonight. It was great to hear from you. 
You too. Take care, you guys, and um, happy late Thanksgiving. You too, and good luck with that master's degree. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, I have to admit, I don't know exactly who I'm on the air with, uh, so bear with me for a second, because uh, just so you know, uh, are you with me still? Yes, I'm here. Okay, so my note that got typed over on, that's on my computer for Mike says, Anita, maybe Danita, Bunny, and then it says South Africa, <laughs> Indiana under it. So I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> uh, but I, I tweet with you occasionally under Bunny. Um, Bunny. I am from South Africa, but I live in Indiana right now. I'm your neighbor. Okay, so uh, we'll say it sounds more exotic if we say this is Bunny from <laughs> South Africa. How about that? Let's do that. All right, that sounds great. Uh, so do you have a question today, Bunny? Yeah, let me um, like round it out with the Adnan Sayed case. Like We had conviction, and then we went to jail, and then we did the... PCR and all that stuff, and now we're waiting for him to get the retrial. In that perspective of things, where are we in Kenny's case and in Ed's case? Where on the timeline are we? Okay, with Kenny's case, I think that, that his attorney is, in the two cases are a little bit different, because Kenny's attorney, Susan Schoon, is, is just a private attorney who's working pro bono for Kenny and so it, it may take a little longer to get everything going. She is still in the in the process, in his case, of gathering information, deciding what types of motions to file, what avenues we have. So Kenny's a little bit further back, but she's still working on that. Now, in Ed's case, okay. it's a little more clear-cut. You know, he has the Innocence Project. He has Allison Clayton and her entire team at Texas Tech Law working on his case. So where Ed's case is at right now is, you know, we've been investigating and gathering information and requesting documents for months now. And I don't have an exact timeline, but I would expect, I would say probably very early in 2017, that Allison will start filing motions on Ed's case. So these will be the motions like in Anand Syed's case, where Justin Brown filed a PCR claim. You know, in, in his case, it was the ineffective assistance of counsel for not contact, contacting Asia McLean and uh, a Brady violation because of the fax cover sheet. So in Ed's case, okay. right now, from what I can tell, and, and I'm not a lawyer, you know, I do talk to Allison on occasion. You know, when, I, when I'm investigating and I find something, I of course pass that along to her, and we'll talk a little bit. The big thing that I think we'll probably see filed in Ed's case first is a motion for a lot of testing. You know, there's a, there's a ton of physical evidence that was never tested. You know, we have all the hairs that were never tested against anyone but Ed. We have dozens of fingerprints that were never tested. You know, and I thought, uh, I just recently read a document, actually just this evening, uh, based on the trial testimony, it sounded like there was 13 fingerprints and six were El Norris. When I oh. read a document from the FBI, there was actually 26 fingerprints and oh, six of those were in Elnora's. There were 20 fingerprints that didn't match Elnora, Leonard, or Et. But the problem in Texas is we don't necessarily have the ability to get those tested. That would have to be the prosecutor agreeing to that because there's no law in Texas that entitles Ed, like a DNA test, to test those fingerprints. But you know, we have the fingernail scrapings from underneath Elnora's fingernail that we... Um, I was in contact with a listener who is a serologist who analyzed those reports for me and told me that it looks like there were definitely two different blood types underneath the fingernails on Elnora's left hand. 
And so if that's the case, we can get DNA testing on that. We can get DNA testing on the semen. We, there's all these things that we can test for DNA. And, and then, you know, there's some issues that look like Brady violations or some things that look like ineffective assistance of counsel claims, you know, like the, for example, you know, William Scott, Francis Johnson's cousin, who Ed's attorneys had an interview proving that Francis Johnson was in town the time of the murder that would have impeached his testimony. They never called him. So these are all things that yeah. could be filed. And I would expect probably, I, I don't want to, I don't want to really predict, but, I, but from, from conversations we've had. I would guess probably January, February 2017, Allison's probably going to start firing out motions for testing. Once the results of those tests comes back, then we will be filing motions to take it back into court, Actual, which would be like a non-PCR motion. So say the fingernail clippings come back and they're a match to a known subject that, that is a viable suspect. Well, then, then she would probably file a motion, uh, an 1107 motion, which is a claim of actual innocence based on that finding. Okay. You see, that that helps a lot because I was tweeting with Saj, Rabia's brother, earlier, uh-huh. and he's all salty about it. He's like, you people have no idea how long the criminal justice things take. I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't, but you don't have to be all mad about it. I'm just, so this does help put things in perspective as how things happen. Like, all of these cases have been eye-opening to criminal injustices, how long the systems do take. Like, it's complete violation of a speedy trial, you know, those things. So this is very helpful, you guys. It's been insightful, and I'm enjoying it, and it's more than entertainment to me. It's like opening your eyes to so much. So I appreciate you guys. Well, and we appreciate you. Specifically, what we do here with Truth and Justice literally couldn't happen without all of you listeners supporting. I mean, everything from just your support that's bringing awareness to it to just everything that I have come across that I needed, there's always a listener to pick up the ball and and take over and you know, you listeners are the reason Ed has an attorney right now and has this hope because of the resources. When I was able to tell the Innocence Project of Texas, when I was able to talk to Michael Ware and tell him anything you need, I can make happen because my listeners are so devoted that there's somebody with whatever skill set you need that's willing to help. And that's that's been the case. So uh, we really appreciate all of you. And, and I hope that answers your question with that. You know, Assad is right in the fact that the, the criminal justice case, uh, the criminal justice system does take a long time, a lot longer than we'd like. You know, the only thing that, that speeds it along is when you have a prosecutor that's willing to work with you. So that's still, that's still what, you know, for me, my, my prayer is still that at some point, you know, that, that Matt Bingham in the Smith County DA's office, if we can show them enough evidence to say, look, this guy's innocent, then instead of fighting against us, will agree to work with us. If that happens, that's when you could have at least a hope that Ed could celebrate his 50th birthday at home next year. Yeah, that would be great. Like, I get Saj's frustration with people asking him what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. But this does help put everything in perspective for people like me who are fortunate enough to not have to deal with the criminal system. Right. You know, it, it really takes a long time because Anod's case was, you know, there's not a crystal clear actual innocence claim there, right? So there's not, no. oh, there's not, there's not a smoking gun where, you know, oh, we tested DNA and it's someone else's DNA. 
under her fingernails. That's clear actual innocence. That happens a little fast, quite a bit faster. You know, in his case, it's yeah. procedural things. You know, in Ed's case, even with the prosecutor fighting against us, if we were to do a DNA test and, and say for, for using that example, if the mm-hmm. if we found that there was someone say say we tested the DNA underneath her fingernails and it was Leonard Mosley's or Francis Johnson's or Angela Walker's or you know or, or whoever's that process would move much faster then because now we have a, a clear claim of actual innocence and that moves a little bit faster but it's definitely it's a it's a long road to hoe for sure yeah well thank you very much for answering my call no problem and thank you for calling it's great to hear from you bunny okay take care yep have a great day bye bye all right, I think that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I really enjoy, as always, talking to all of you. Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed this follow-up episode. And be sure to check out Sunday's episode, 245. This one is jam-packed with new information on the case. Thanks, everybody. And until next week, see ya. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Michael Bussing. The intro music today was To the Top by Score Squad. All other music in today's episode was created by Shane Yoder. We want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. We want to thank our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Sarah Hoyt, and Desiree Dunn for transcribing the episodes every week and sending them off to Ed and Kenny. And as always, we want to thank all of you for all of your involvement and all of your engagement. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas into theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And if you have a new case you want to consider, now's the time. We're going to be making our final selection on our next case within the next couple of weeks. So if you have a new case, send it into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.